From the time she was a little girl competing in science fairs in Chicago, Alexa Dembeck has been drawn to the world of science and technology. Today, Alexa is the Chief Technology and Sustainability Officer at DuPont, where she believes she has found the perfect place to use science to make an impact on the world. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Alexa shared with us her role as a champion for growth at the company, and she discussed the way they use failure as a spark for innovation and as a way to propel ideas and people forward. And those ideas are being brought into the world as products designed to create a more sustainable environment for everyone. Enjoy this episode. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform. This podcast is created by the team at mission.org. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at mission.org. And we have on the other line, Alexa herself. Alexa, how are you today? Ian, I love it. I'm great. Thank you for letting me join today. Well, when our producers reached out to me and they said, we have Alexa coming on the show, I was so excited and I grabbed my Amazon Echo and I started talking to it. And then I found out that it was even better than the technology Alexa. It is you. Um, And I'm so excited to talk about uh, everything that's going on technology and sustainability wise at DuPont. But before we get into that, how did you get started in technology in the first place? Oh, Ian, I've loved science and technology since I was a little girl. You know, I grew up in Chicago and nature was a big deal for me. Now, mind you, I was in the city of Chicago. So my version of nature was grasshoppers and fireflies. (laughs) That's about as good as it gets. Um, One of my early wins was in the eighth grade. I did a rock star science project called Germs versus Disinfectants. And it went all the way to the city of Chicago science fair, which is a very big deal. And I was one of the winners in eighth grade. And the reason that's important is it showed from a really young age. I loved science. I loved everything about curiosity and solving problems. So I'm a a nerd and a scientist from the very beginning. You know, I also was a science fair winner. I've never shared this on the podcast, but uh, I was also a science fair winner in sixth grade we did a test. So my mom was a nurse. And so we got these like really cool Petri trays and we did whether you just use water or you use soap or use antibacterial soap for like washing your hands, which is better. And uh, you're not going to believe this. Antibacterial soap, way better than uh, just water. (laughs) So I see we share a common bond. Who needs holidays at the end of the year when you could spend time doing science fair projects? Well, my mother was a saint and like put up so much with me on all that sort of stuff and being a perfectionist around my little science project. But uh, no, it, stuff like that is so important and that's so cool to hear. And so you ended up getting a PhD in chemistry? Yes, I have a PhD from Penn State and uh, chemistry was the chosen path beyond the grasshoppers. And so how, how do you blend science and technology you know, together at, at, in your role at DuPont? Well, it's, um, it's a perfect place to use science to make an impact. And, you know, that's the reason I became a scientist 
is the love of science, the love of curiosity. It all comes down to solving big problems. So just like your problem in the science fair was which disinfectant was best for you, you know, that's the same approach at DuPont that we take in solving big problems, whether it's on connectivity and mobility, whether it's on healthy living, whether it's on any other areas of urbanization or safety. Science and technology together, including an emphasis on sustainability, that's really what it takes to develop solutions to these problems. So in DuPont, most of our solutions, we're a brand new company, by the way, I, didn't, I don't think I mentioned that yet, Ian, but as of June of this year, we're the new DuPont coming out of a merger with Dow, and we're really excited to have a purpose that is empowering the world with the essential innovations to thrive. And you might say, well, how do you do that? And it's all about science and technology and innovation pointed at big world-scale problems. So for DuPont, that's what really matters, and that's why I'm really excited to spend so much time here. As a scientist and as a, a leader, it's a great place to be. That is really exciting, and I was going to ask you about that because, you know, with this, with the spinoff, you know, DuPont is a company that's been around a long time, and uh, I'm sure everybody remembers the uh, DuPont race car. That was my first. Um, <laughs> I feel like as a, as a kid, was it? It's a uh, Jeff Gordon number twenty four. Yeah, Jeff Gordon number twenty four. I know. I I remember that distinctly. I think I my dad has like a replica car of it. Um, but yeah, like, I think, you know, it's such a household name and such a household brand and company. I'm curious, like, how do you look at from a technology standpoint, taking a brand that so many people know and love and, and, you know, looking to the future? You know, DuPont's been around for 217 years. So I call us today a 217 year old startup. And the reason that that's important and probably important for the audience is it speaks to the ability to constantly reinvent to be relevant with what the problems are today. So when we started off 217 years ago, the problem was how do you make smokeless gunpowder? Well, 217 years later, we still have problems that require solving through science. Not that problem, but there are other problems like how do we make sure that we can limit food waste by having food with longer shelf lives? How do we make sure that we can electrify vehicles to lower CO2 emissions and improve safety? So from the beginning, DuPont's always been about using science and technology to solve the problems of the day. And you know, every 50 or 50 years or every century, we completely reinvent ourselves to make sure that we've got the right portfolio, the right businesses and the right talent for today's problems. That's what I'm excited about. You know, you might be thinking, well, what are today's problems and how do you know you're working on the right ones? Yesterday, I was at the Bloomberg event in New York and we launched our new sustainability goals for the new DuPont. And they speak a lot about innovation and the sustainability opportunities and challenges that innovation can solve based on the United Nations goals for sustainable development. So it's a fabulous roadmap and framework to say what are the big problems of today and how does DuPont point science and technology and all of our talent to be able to deliver against them. So I think it's a really great recipe for success and it's proven to be timeless for a company that's a, a couple of centuries old. It must kind of feel like you have some weight on your shoulders, uh, you know, with carrying a company 
of that type of legacy and pushing the pace of innovation, do you ever kind of feel like, um, you know, the problem is, is the problems that are out there are so large, uh, you know, doing things like sustainable seaweed, you know, growing lettuce in space, um, doing all these like incredible things that you're doing that there's this kind of like weight and responsibility to, you know, to society at large, but also to, you know, to all the employees of DuPont. Absolutely. But I think it's, it's humbling and it's one of the benefits of being a leader is that we can empower all of this talent. We can have followership within the company and honestly with our collaborators and our customers outside the company to make a difference. You know, I think the problems of today feel big, but if we rewind the video 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 years ago, I'll bet the problems at that time felt big too. I think the difference today is the pace of change is so fast, right? We all feel this urgency. Um, we're on overload from all of the information that we get that we need to sort of change the game and on how we work and how we're even more effective. So that's something I think a lot about is in order to be even more effective into the future, what's the entrepreneurial spirit that we need? What kind of a culture do we need? So that not only me, but our teams don't feel overwhelmed with what we're trying to accomplish and rather wake up every day saying, we got this, right? We can make an impact. We know how to point our science and our engineering and our technology. So let's look at it as just a great opportunity to change the future. So that's what I try to do. Think about what's my role in enabling that environment where everyone wakes up jumping out of bed saying, it's going to be a great day. We got a lot to get done and we're ready to do it. So let's take a step back and look at, you know, what is the scope of your role as chief technology and sustainability officer? What are the types of things that you're working on? How do you array the team? Are you working, you know, with internal, you know, employees and technology, um, you know, vetting technology and things like that internally? Are you working on product? Are you spending time with customers? Um, what's kind of, what does that look like? You know, I do all the things that you mentioned. Where I add the most value in the role is I spend time making sure and supporting our businesses to enable success to drive growth. Think of me as the growth champion of the company. And the way that I do that is, you know, our businesses are super deep in the markets that we win in, whether it's transportation or electronics or healthcare. What I do is help stretch our thinking to not only what do we do today, but what should we be doing in the future? What are the problems that are right around the corner that we should be tackling with innovation and solving now? So I spend time not only internally, but externally with what I'll call those leading edge thinkers. I try to be an attraction mechanism for folks to come together and say, how do we work faster? How do we work on even bigger problems? And how do we make sure that we can incorporate sustainability into everything that we do? sustainable thinking from the very front end of the process into how we drive innovation, but also sustainability from the way that we create value for our customers and for society. So a big part of my role is having thought leaders internally and externally that I can collaborate with, that I can learn from and be inspired by. I don't know if you know this about me, but I was a DuPont customer, unknowingly a DuPont customer, because I was in the military and I used Kevlar every day. So I have long experiences with, with, with Kevlar. And I kind of feel like there's so many people and so many DuPont products that people use every day and they're not aware of that. 
you know, as chief technology and sustainability officer, like how do you view, you know, that kind of that brand awareness and that, you know, making people understand what are the things that you're working on? How are you pushing innovation? What are the products that are kind of solving that? Well, Ian, first of all, thank you for your service to our country. I am uh, always impressed when I meet with folks who have just given so much and really use um, the, the products that DuPont makes to make a real difference. I spent 10 years in Kevlar. Actually, I was in Richmond, Virginia, which is our largest manufacturing site for Kevlar fiber. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, I spent 10 years there. I was actually the operations manager for three and a half years every day making the product that went into helmets, that went into vests, and that went into armored vehicles to protect against IEDs. So the most important thing for DuPont, it's not advertising, it's not just a brand, it's not talking about the product. It's about making sure that that product protects people like you against threats, whether they're ballistic threats, whether they're thermal threats, whatever the threat is that you go home every day to your family and that you're safe. So at the time, one of the most precious letters, handwritten letters that I got when I was in Kevlar was from the mother of a warfighter and her son had been shot um, in the head and he had a Kevlar helmet on Yeah, and he was fine. And she thanked us. And boy, that meant so much to me. And it meant so much to the team who works every day to make sure that that product is always delivered on time, on quality. So, you know, you, yeah. you really hit a bright spot with me. Well, there, yeah, there's a, um, I remember when we were in training, there was like an image that they would share around that it was um, essentially a bullet that like went into a Kevlar helmet and was like stopped like halfway through. It's like, this is why you wear your helmet. But I think, you know, there's so many things like that, that I think DuPont touches that people don't necessarily realize. And from, you know, an innovation standpoint, and from an R&D standpoint, DuPont is obviously spending tons of money on R&D annually. It's something that, you know, to drive innovation you're working on, and I know you're at the cutting edge. How do you look at developing those types of technologies? Like, what's your role in that? So we do spend a lot of money. We'll, we'll invest a, almost a billion dollars, which is about 4% of sales, to make sure that we can be at the leading edge of innovation in every one of our markets. And the way that we figure out how to focus that investment is by working closely in every market around what are the trends, what are the jobs to be done, what are our customers' needs, and how do we make sure we have the capabilities to deliver against them. So another specific example um, beyond Kevlar, areas like auto electrification. We have a, a big program called AHEAD, which allows us to work with partner OEMs and understand, you know, what are the challenges in electric, electrifying vehicles? How do we improve thermal management? How do we improve safety? How do we improve weight and therefore performance of the vehicles? And then our teams in the labs will take products and drive to the next level of performance. So product modifications, brand new materials. So the common theme across DuPont and all of our innovation is really understanding the challenges that end users face in the big markets that we're in, using those insights coupled with our science capabilities 
to be able to develop the next generation of products, to develop whole new products that folks don't even know that they need yet. So it's a business model that we've had for a very long period of time. Understand needs, apply science-based solutions, and do it really competitively so that we can differentiate ourselves by being fast, by being close to the market. And the diversity of what we do also gives us such benefit because we're close to markets and close to customers. You know, we're all over the world. We're in over 70 countries. I personally um, have the opportunity to have laboratories and innovation centers in all of our major geographies. And what that allows us to do is for our scientists and our marketers to hear firsthand from our customers, here's what the need is. So way before any marketing report can ever come out, we've already heard about challenges. We can already start applying technology to solve them. It's a, just a fabulous model and you know, one that DuPont has excelled at for a long time. With almost a billion dollars in R&D, surely there are failures, failures abound. Um, and, and you have a, uh, you, you host a little thing that you call Failure Fridays. Uh, can, you, can you share why you created this and what, what this means? Absolutely. So, you know, Ian, first let me say, innovation isn't innovation if it doesn't have risk, right? It has to have risk to be able to have the upside reward. And with risk comes failure. So what I love about it, an innovation organization is everything shouldn't work. We should embrace failure but most importantly, learn from it so that we can develop even faster products and we can get to market and solve problems more quickly. So I was inspired by Reshma Sujani. I heard a TED talk by Reshma and she this year wrote a book called Brave Not Perfect. And she's fabulous. In the whole thesis, it, it, it's a, uh, quite a bit around women and how women need to be brave, not perfect. But the mindset applies universally if we think about innovation. And one of the things that she does is every Friday, she sends out a newsletter around her personal reflections around failure from the week and how to overcome it. So what I did is I brought it back into DuPont and said, what a great way for us to tune up our muscles around how we're brave, how we're bold. We focus on progress. We embrace failure. So just about every Friday... Uh, teams openly share amongst themselves what went well this week, what did we learn, emphasis on learning, and what pivots do we need to make. And I got to tell you, today, we're doing something called Dead Projects Day. Now, you might think that's funny, but it's Failure Friday on steroids. Dead Projects Day? That's pretty good. It's fun. And what the teams are doing is reflecting over the past year, how do we celebrate the projects that we killed? What did we learn from killing them? And perhaps most importantly, how do we know when, um, when projects need to be pivoted much more quickly? And frankly, also celebrating the success for many, many successes that we've had. So I think the key point for me is innovation's got risk. We've got to find a way to make risk and management of it culturally fun and acceptable, just like many entrepreneurs do. Entrepreneurs are great at this. In a 217-year-old startup, like our new DuPont, we want to be great at it. We've got all these little fun mechanisms to do it. I love that. That's, that's awesome. 
And I'm curious, how do you cultivate the mindset around that? Because I know this is one of the things with a lot of the CIOs and CTOs that we talk to that they struggle with because they know that they're going to be putting a group of people or a team on a project that could be a moonshot. It could be something really valuable, but a lot of times it is going to fail. And putting people on that, having them spend a year of their life working on something and then you know pulling the plug is really difficult. It is hard. So I try to find these little totems that make it less hard. So my latest one is the teams that are celebrating dead projects today are all wearing red shirts. The front of the red shirt has a beautiful new DuPont oval. The back of the red shirt says, fall in love with growth, not projects. I think from a cultural perspective, if we can get everyone on our teams thinking about the outcome, what we're trying to accomplish is drive growth for the company, drive growth for our customers, solve their problems. Sometimes falling in love with a project really gets in the way because we lose sight of what we're trying to accomplish and instead we're sort of down into execution mode. So it's a fine balance because I love passionate people on projects, but at the end of the day, not every project's going to be successful, nor should it be. Or we're not being bold enough in our thinking if every project is successful. So I think we have to focus on what we're trying to accomplish and find ways to help with the culture to get people there. I find uh, days like today, Dead Projects Day, food, embracing failure, and finding ways to be bold and learn even faster, you know, it's a, it's a real recipe for success. Do you think that there is a way, you know, that you level set expectations at the beginning of a project to make sure that people are, you know, fully in, fully committed, working on it, even though that kind of thing might be in the back of their mind that like, hey, this thing might not work out? Like, how do you kind of, um, you know, set expectations at the beginning? It's a really good question. Um, and I'll, I'll say there are maybe two big there are two types of projects. Every project isn't the same. The projects that are very close to existing customers, close to products that we know, I'll call it a short putt. We need to be in execution mode. We need to move fast. We know how to do it. It's really about getting the job done. And I think we've got just awesome skills at doing that well. The place that it's the hardest is when we're trying to move into new areas probably for many of your listeners, new technology areas with artificial intelligence, of internet of things, machine learning. For us, new technology areas and new materials development where we're going into markets that are still evolving, like the 5G market. Really important market, still evolving in what it's going to take to get to high speed, high frequency. A very specific example. Our materials development and what we need to do to win in a project like that we should instead be thinking about what do we need to learn and focus on what we need to learn so that the project is successful versus just executing what we know today. So a huge difference in the character of those two types of projects. And I think it's really important for anyone that's driving growth beyond sort of the day-to-day. -day. When you're driving into big new spaces that have a lot of uncertainty and that have risk and that have some unknowables, it's important to take a step back and think about, hmm, what would an entrepreneur do? They'd say, what do I need to learn and how do I learn it in the next three months and not come up with a five-year project plan? 
Yeah, absolutely. And so do you do like more like sprint style things? How do you kind of like decrease kind of those things? Because, you know, I mean, I, I'd imagine that when you're doing some of these innovations that you're talking about, like extremely long projects potentially that have a lot of time, effort, energy that go into it. So like, I'm, I'm sure everyone is totally different, but how do you look at like sizing those things? Well, you're right. We do do sprints. We do have agile methodologies so that we focus on the right things up front to make sure we de-risk big projects. We know risk and reward go together, but we've got to make sure that we take as much of the risk out as possible. And the way to do that is to make sure we stay close to the market, close to evolving customers. So this is what I call innovation on steroids. This is where the future growth comes from. So the ability to do it well, to use the latest technologies, to really, again, not fall in love with the project, but fall in love with the problem. How do you enable 5G? Not how do we develop a lighter weight material that can go into a handheld device. So they might be connected, but if in the end we don't have all the right insights, it might not solve the customer problem. So I think the agile methodologies are really helpful tools today. I'm curious how you view technology in working on these projects. You know, you have a CIO that you partner with on internal technologies, but how do you look at, you know, driving that employee experience internally with your teams to make sure they have the right technology and the right tools to do their jobs? Well, this is an exciting space for DuPont and one of the places where I think these technologies are changing the most that not only support innovation and R&D, but do support our employee experience. So we just launched in DuPont over the last year, a new program called Spark, and it's about digital transformation. And what that does for us is internally help us to align what does it take to be really leading edge and how digital can help with intelligent processes, having digital workers at our manufacturing sites. How do we think about smart forecasting or smart pricing? How do we use digital transformation and machine learning to drive our discovery and our development processes? Um, from an employee perspective, you know, we have lots of internal better communication tools, engagement tools, opportunities to leverage around the world really quickly through our innovation centers. So I think we're at the precipice in digital of not only it catalyzing new behaviors with employees, but on driving internal productivity and then hopefully new value creation with our customers. So we're thinking a lot, we're investing in what's our role in enabling smart cities? What's our role in enabling smart materials? And how do we drive the connectivity between materials and Internet of Things to really? take to the future around sustainability and innovation. So I think it's an exciting spot to be in, Ian. I think the future is in front of us, you know, some days on digital transformation. You know, I feel like we, we as a society probably are like what it was in the late 18th century around industrialization. I think we're just at the beginning and the, the excitement is yet to come. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think, um, you know, some of the projects that you're working on are, are truly incredible. I, I want to talk about a few of those. What are some of the things that you're working on right now that you're just like, you know, you can't wait to, uh, I don't want to say share with the world, but you can't wait to, uh, to see the, the kind of fruits of the labor. 
So we have so many, which to pick from. Um, one of the ones I'll start with, I'll start with one that drives productivity in the way that we do research. We have a nutrition and biosciences business. And in that business, we spend a lot of time around how we can make next generation products that require genomic sequencing. And the digital tools today to do that versus even three or four years ago, absolutely tremendous in speed of development, speed of how we can get products to market more quickly and allowing creativity to come into the process and how we generate new materials. So the digital transformation in our internal product development process to get better outcomes and to drive speed, absolutely incredible. An external example would be thinking about how we enable smart materials. So we're, we're just at the point of launching a few prototypes into the market. Actually, we've got some early sales around smart conference room tables where we can completely bet embed electronics and make a, just a huge difference in the conference room experience on the capability that's embedded into the table. Like the conference room I'm sitting right now is littered with wires and all kinds of capability that I have a vision that we don't need in the future. So just a little teaser around internally, how digital transformation can make a difference in productivity of all processes. And then externally, how we can embed smart to drive new materials and drive forward the customer experience. During your career, you worked with Owen Webster, the inventor of group transfer polymerization what was it like to work with with Owen and not just him, but potentially other mentors throughout your career that have, you know, created some amazing things? And, you know, you yourself have have a number of patents, it, this kind of uh, this this level of creators that you've been able to kind of be around your whole career, including yourself. Well, I can tell you that Owen was an amazing man and he was just the epitome of DuPont science. Tremendous level of creativity and he could point it at problems that made a big difference. I mean, he invented an entirely new class of polymerization and that went on to transform many of the paint and coatings industries. So the spirit of Owen, which is embedded in many of our senior technology leaders and mentors, you know, this, this relentless curiosity, always seeking to ask why, how to solve problems, how to collaborate across boundaries, how to bring together diverse perspectives to be able to create something that, you know, at the outset, everyone said, well, this will never work. So Owen and the many, many folks like Owen that really shape the future of this company, um, a, a really tremendous mentor for me personally and to many in the company. I've had the pleasure to spend time with many leaders within the company and outside the company. And I have to say, some of my best learnings have come from customers, particularly customers who are discriminating, who see the benefit of DuPont, but want to be challenging around, these are the things that you can do better. Um, I had a, a Canadian customer once, one of our very best uh, Weaver partners. And every time I saw him, he'd sit me down and he would say, here are the things that DuPont does well, and here are the things, Alexa, I need you to go and fix. And it's through that sort of direct mentorship that I could see what does a leader look like? What does it mean to be clear and transparent? What does it mean to be focused on value and to be able to make a difference within your own teams? This same leader allowed his organization 
to do sabbaticals and then start their own businesses. So an entrepreneur who spawned entrepreneurs. And by working with him, Michael was his name, by working with him, he taught me what it meant to come back into DuPont and have that same spirit and develop our next generation of entrepreneurs. So I'm really appreciative of the many mentors that I've had and the company has had. Um, and I hope in so many ways that I've been humbled by it and I have a chance to give back to many of my colleagues today. One of, you know, life is full of surprises, obviously. And uh, one of the things that I would imagine was beyond surprising for you was when Amazon rolled out one of its biggest product, probably the biggest product release of its entire history with your name. <laughs> what was it like when uh, when you saw that the new um, <laughs> thing that everyone was going to be saying is your name? It was hilarious. I still remember the day. I got texts and emails and calls from so many friends and uh, sort of celebrating or poking fun at it. And what I love about it is it, it's a great name, but more importantly, I think it's kind of leading edge for me personally around the promise and the hope of technology. So what a great brand. You know, I consider myself, as I said earlier, I consider myself the growth champion for DuPont, the cheerleader for growth for our customers. And now to have a branded name that's really cool and edgy and in so many people's homes and offices, I think is just really fun. And especially because it's just so prevalent and it's in so many houses, it's just got to be a trip to, uh, to hear your name all the time. It's really fun. When I, uh, when I check in at the airport going through security, which I do like five times a week, the security person, they always, you know, sort of casually look at my driver's license and they look up at me and they're like, really? Your name's Alexa? <laughs> so it's great fun. Last question before we get into the lightning round. You have sustainability in your title. It's a critical, you know, thing for DuPont and it's a critical thing for our world. Why is that part of your title? How does that affect what you do on a day-to-day -day basis? Sustainability is absolutely critical for DuPont and always has been. Although sustainability has always been important for DuPont, it evolved from first safety, then into environmental performance and environmental protection, to now what the really modern and inclusive and forward-thinking view of sustainability is, it includes not just environment, which we know is vital, we know that, but beyond that into how does innovation make a difference in the world and people, people and well-being, what does that mean for sustainability? So our new goals embrace all of that. And the reason that they're connected at DuPont, the biggest contribution that our company can make to the planet and therefore to sustainability is through innovation. It's through the innovation that we have in healthy living, in urbanization, in safety, in connectivity and mobility. It's through those areas that we focus our innovation and it tackles the sustainable development goals. Reducing hunger, clean water, health and wellness, making sure that we can make a difference in climate action, in circularity, in improving and reducing inequalities. So innovation, science, technology, engineering, that's what's needed to solve many of these problems. So within DuPont, I'm so excited and I really am passionate about this combination where we can bring together all of the power that we have and connect it into 
developing a more sustainable world, and creating value along the way for our shareholders, for our customers, and for our communities. I think it goes together really well, Ian, and I would expect that this would be a trend that would excite a lot of other companies and a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, these two things make a big difference on the world, technology and sustainability. And I think that the, the focus over the next decade, if we fast forward for the next 10 years, this is really the next horizon that we can tackle. Yeah, and how do you view technology as it relates to that? Because you know, with things like machine learning, AI, all these technologies that allow us to automate certain portions of things that allow us to be much more sustainable. And I know that, you know, a big a big problem with sustainability, I think, in the past was you had kind of a lot of what people were doing was not necessarily tracked well enough with from a data perspective, or they didn't have feedback on those things and they couldn't automate pieces of that. Um, yeah, how do you how do you see technology playing a role in this? I know that's a loaded question, but but it, it just seems like it's you know obviously it's going to be super critical. Absolutely super critical. I mean, I envision a future where blockchain makes a huge impact on full value chain traceability, allowing us to have less waste, allowing circularity. I think all of the really leading edge technologies, we can talk all day long about AI and machine learning and cloud computing and how those will enable transparency, enable new business models for value, enable lowering waste, um, enable, I mean, imagine a future where we have smart cities, smart healthcare, smart education. You know, what, what's education going to look like in 2030? It is only going to be enabled because the technologies that you described and many of your, your listeners work on are going to make a difference. And that points at sustainability. That's how we reduce inequality. So in my mind, I can easily see how the world of IT, the world of science, and the world of sustainability have just such a trifecta and really come together powerfully to make a difference. I think it's all in front of us. Let's get into the lightning round. These questions are fast and easy, just like the Customer 360 platform from Salesforce, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. You can go to salesforce.com slash platform to learn more. We love Salesforce platform. It's great. Customer 360 experience. What is better than that? Lightning round questions. Alexa, are you ready? I am ready, Ian. Number one, what app on your phone is the most fun? I'm married to a meteorologist, so I got to tell you, I spend a lot of time on the Weather Channel. <laughs> that is so funny. I didn't know that. Is that local, local for you? You know, he is a, a data scientist behind the scenes, does all the forecasting. So I'm excited because he was the original big data guy. No kidding. You bet. We got to get him on. We'll get him on the podcast. Talk. We love talking big data or maybe another mission podcast because we have a bunch of data stuff coming out here soon. Do you have a favorite book or podcast that you've read or listened to recently? New book that I love is by David Kidder, New to Big. And it's all about how do you take a business and a brand new one and make it big versus a big business you're making bigger. Great book. What do you do for fun? I have three sons and we love outdoors. I'm a big fan of going to national parks and uh, my guilty pleasure is eating out absolutely as much as I can so I don't have to cook. 
<laughs> what is your favorite thing to cook or eat? So apparently it's not cooks, but what's your favorite thing to eat? You know, I lately am into sushi. So I love going out. It's something I could never make at home and it feels really decadent. And I tell myself it's healthful. I do the exact same thing. Every time I eat out, I, I always, me and my uh, fiance, I always go to, go to sushi. We have for a long time because of those exact reasons. I'm like, I can't make this at home. It's healthier than, you know, the average. If you're ever in Oakland, Shogun Sushi on Grand Avenue is, I think, the best sushi in the Bay Area, but I'm biased. Mm, wonderful. I'll have to give it a try. Yeah, it's great stuff. What would be your best advice for a first-time CTO? Understand how the business makes money and what's the role of science and technology and engineering in making more money, right? Really understanding that. And then, of course, talent. So talent's a critical, critical role in achieving it. So knowing, knowing the talent. What technology are you most excited about going forward? I think what we talked about earlier, the general class of big data and how big data is converging into all of the industries that we serve. So I think the actual technology enablement of big data, whether it's on productivity or new markets, Wow, it's pretty, it's going to be mind-blowing. What question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? So I, I don't get asked a lot about what does it mean to be a woman as a leader. I actually don't. People assume that that's a great thing to be and that the characteristics of what's needed for success are natural. So, and I think that means that we're moving beyond that topic. I'm really encouraged by that. Yeah, that is really cool. I, um, you know, we obviously spend a, a ton of time on this show, making sure that we have, you know, representation from all walks of life and different countries. We have listeners in over 130 countries. And yeah, it's super important to make sure that we are getting, you know, thoughts and opinions from, from everywhere in the world or as much as we can. Well, like I said, this has been absolutely awesome. Thanks so much for coming on. Any uh, final thoughts, any things to plug? I just want to say thanks, Ian, for taking the time to hear about New DuPont and hearing about the contributions that we can make. This was a lot of fun, and uh, thank you again. Awesome. Talk soon. Great. Thank you. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform. <laughs>